Y'all turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. We're doing our study in Hebrews, and we're going to start chapter 3 tonight. Has anybody here ever studied Hebrews, like you're really taking your time in in a Bible study yourself, or taught it maybe? It's it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful book. It's so much, it's like studying the book of Revelation or something. There's so much uh, deep stuff in here, I would say doctrinal things, that really make us appreciate Jesus and what he did on the cross. The book of Hebrews really highlights and promotes, well, I mean, every book does, but you understand what I mean. It explains what he did for us on the cross by his coming. So by starting tonight, I want to, we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1, but I want to back up and read the last um, three verses of chapter 2. So let's pick up in verse 16 of chapter 2. For verily he took not on him, as Jesus, took not on him the nature of angels, but he took, took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him, that means it was fitting for him, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself had suffered, being tempted, he is able to suffer succor or help them that are tempted. Wherefore, holy brethren, and so he's tying in what we're reading right now in chapter 3 is is tying into the end of chapter 2. That's really why I want you to read those previous verses. But in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. So I'm going to stop right there. We're going to go back and talk about this. In the first chapter... In chapter 1, we looked at Jesus was greater than angels. And that carried over into, into the second chapter as well. He was greater than angels. And, uh, and at the end of the chapter, we, we, you know, it talks about, in what we just read, that he was made like his brethren. Okay, and that's talking about his incarnation. He's always been the eternal son. We know that. He was... Forever the Alpha and Omega, forever Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And Jesus was always the Son. I know you know that. But there are false teachings going around that he wasn't, Jesus wasn't actually God until even this whole 30 years as Joseph's son basically on the earth. He only became deity when the Holy Ghost descended upon him or something like that. That's nowhere taught in Scripture. He, he, um, he did the things he did, like submitted to John's baptism, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him at 30 years of age, and that started his his uh, public ministry, so to speak. But he was always God. He never ceased being God. He's the eternal Son. And uh, at no point was he not God. There's a mystery of godliness, the Bible says. He called himself the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's both on the earth. And... Uh, so he became a man in order to taste death, as we said last week, for all men. That means to experience it. He experienced death 
for all men. He never had the sin nature like we have being descendants of Adam. He never partook of that at any point in him. He bore the sins of the world upon himself like somebody carrying a big backpack upon him. The sins were placed upon him. And, uh, but he never, he never entered in him. He was never defiled or polluted with sin. He never committed a sin. And uh, he was not of that nature, but he had the nature of a man, and specifically as a Jewish man. A child of Abraham is what it says here, not Adam. It says of Abraham, because salvation is of the Jews. And he came through the, the line of the tribe of Judah. And that was God's plan. That's his plan. Salvation is of the Jews. And we talked about that last week. But he says here in, in chapter 3, verse 1, he calls believers right here. It's not just these Jewish believers. Remember who he's writing to, a, a group of Hebrew Christians in that day that were Jewish by heritage, saved and Christian by the new birth, just like we are. Jews are not saved any other way than we're saved today. Ever since the cross, if a Jew's going to get saved, a Hebrew, they're going to get saved by the blood of Jesus. No different. No different way, okay? And they still have their Jewish heritage, and you still have whatever heritage you or I might have. I'm never going to become a Jew. The Bible says spiritually we're Jews, you know, inwardly when we're, when we're true children of faith. That's a true child of Abraham, it says in Romans. But, but that's not our Jewish heritage in this sense. But every, these Christians were being persecuted, and the temptation for them was to give up. It would be easier... And we wouldn't face all the heartache and the persecution and the hardship. And life would be a whole lot easier if we would basically just slide back in. Maybe renounce Christ. Or maybe not something as blatant as renouncing Jesus. Just sort of don't talk about Him so much and blend back in. Or something. Maybe, maybe that was the temptation. To not go on in the Lord. And so he's saying Jesus is the author of this epistle, the Holy Spirit. Is saying to them, and it's every bit as much for us that Jesus is better than angels. Angels were held in very high esteem in the, to Jewish people. He's better than Moses, we just read in this chapter. All through this book, he's going to be better than Judaism. He's going to be better than the Levitical priest. His blood is going to be better than the blood of bulls and goats. Everything is going to be better in Jesus because it's perfect. Those things were types and shadows. And he is the fulfillment of all those things. He is that fulfillment. And he is eternal. And his priesthood is an enduring, eternal priesthood. And think, we'll get into all that. But in this chapter, in the first half of this chapter anyway, he's better than Moses. He, Moses is one of the heroes of the Bible. You know, he's one of my heroes if, he, if you know, we have spiritual heroes. Certainly for the Jewish people, he was their deliverer. And God used them to be the deliverer to bring them out of Egypt and the one that received the law. And uh, you can't find anybody much greater than Moses in the Bible or certainly in, in, in Ju Judaism as well. But he's saying here, he calls us holy, these believers and us as well, holy brethren. Okay? Holy brethren. Now this, bless you, this is not a study on this tonight, but I want to mention it in passing. One day I think it will be a good study. When a Christian or a believer or any person is called holy, like this right here, holy brethren, it's not inappropriate, it's not wrong 
to say just what the Bible says, that we're sanctified in Christ, which is, it means holy or separated, or that we're, call us holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. We are holy in our standing before the Lord because of what Jesus has done for us. In other words, when we put our faith in the Lord, uh, legally, He pronounced us as being just, holy, righteous. He robed us in the righteousness of His Son. And really, that is, that is a righteousness that we receive by faith, right? By faith in Jesus, He in turn counts that as our righteousness. We're holy in that sense. We're forever sealed, you know, by the Holy Spirit. We belong to the Lord. When He sees us, He sees us under the blood of His Son, Jesus. He accepts us that way. He deals with us that way. You and I know in practice, so in behavior, probably just things even today, maybe even since lunch, lunchtime, that we're not holy in our lives. Whether it was a word or a thought, an attitude, we're still holy in our positional sense. Where, where are we positioned in the scheme of things? There's lost people and saved people and so forth. We're positioned in Christ. We're called in Christ. Even if I just committed the most horrible sin today and got, and got on my knees and asked God to forgive me, or maybe I haven't even asked Him yet to forgive me. Still, that positional holiness doesn't change. In a practical sense, we're being sanctified. That has to do with our Christ-likeness. That has to be, do with the fruit that we bear. That has to do with our behavior. Okay? And that is biblical as well. Be holy in all manner of what? Conversation, which means lifestyle, behavior. So there are two different uh, aspects to a believer's holiness. There's the positional one that if it's there, if I'm saved and I just got saved five minutes ago, or I've been saved for 75 years and been this wonderful saint of God and I'm a mar martyred on the mission field, okay? Those two people, since they're in Christ, this one might just got saved and might reek of alcohol. You know what I'm saying? They're still fresh with alcohol, but they are holy brethren in the Lord. That has to do with what Christ does for us in salvation. That guy that reeks of alcohol now, the Lord's going to begin to deal with him as a son and chasten him and work with him and make him more like Jesus Christ. That would be his practical holiness and sanctification. That's not what this lesson is tonight. It is a wonderful lesson to study sometime. Honestly, y'all, it was that thought right there and, and that making that clear that the Lord actually put that foundations book on my heart to write, the first one. Because it seemed like in the Christian circles that I was in and then even in books and sermons and things he would listen to abroad, that there was a blurring of the line between those two. Like, if you're saved, then you're as holy as you'll ever be, and there's no need to pursue after God or to be sanctified, say, morally and that kind of thing. And so that will maybe, maybe at some point, uh, we'll do a study on that. But anyway, so we're hung up in the first verse here. We're for <laughs> holy brethren. Partakers of the heavenly calling. Um, well, I want to make one more comment about that because I was reading, I was reading in a commentary, and I like what it says, talking about the positional holiness versus the practical, or what I would call 
walking it out kind of holiness. Both are important, okay? It says, in Christ they are holy. In themselves, they ought to be holy. And I just kind of like the way that, you know, in ourselves, in the sense of like, how to how behave, how to act. Now the Lord helps us to do that. It's not our own strength that does it, okay? Even after we're saved, we don't perfect ourselves or make ourselves holy. But there are things we do to walk with the Lord in obedience. And, and, and Anyway, I'm going to move on. Uh, the heavenly calling. Partakers of the heavenly calling. And it, the, the calling that the Jewish people had. Remember, that's primarily the, the audience that he's writing to. Theirs was more, not as believers, but as a nation. For example, Israel. We see in the Bible that is more of an earthly people. It doesn't mean individual Jewish people don't have the hope of heaven and getting saved. And I'm talking about God's dealings with Israel, okay? There was Abraham, then Isaac. There was a covenant made with Abraham that his seed would be like the, you know, the stars in the heaven and his, the, his seed would be like, you know, multiply like the sand that's on the seashore. He made a covenant with the people and that nations would come from him and all the nations of the earth would be blessed by your seed. That was specifically speaking of Jesus. But they were to be a light to the Gentiles, the people, the Jewish people, the 12 patriarchs. You see, that was physical. They had a physical promised land that they went to. God's feelings with Israel, for the most part, that's a, a physical, earthly people. I'm not saying sinful. I'm saying earthly. When God deals with believers, His church is a spiritual. We don't have a nation staked out somewhere on the globe. That's the Christian nation where we all congregate, where he sets up a temple and a flag and has an army or something like that. Don't understand that. It's a spiritual thing. And when a Jew, Jewish person is saved, they become part of that church, which is the habitation of God, which is a spiritual people. We have blessings in this life, but most of our hopes are future hopes, right? Most of our blessings are not going to be in this life. And so he says, partakers of the heavenly calling. And partakers is an important word. I'm, I'm going to get some of this stuff out of the way now because it's going to be repeated later in this chapter and later in the book of Hebrews. When the Bible talks about a partaker, it's not a casual acquaintance. In other words, D and I are not just casual acquaintances. Oh, I know D. It's it's uh, means an associate, associate or a partner. Okay, and when we're partakers of the heavenly calling, partakers of the nature of Christ, right? You know what the Bible says that we are been made partakers of His holiness. It says, and so this has to do with really, uh, I mean, a real union, a partner, an associate, not just a casual acquaintance like we're in the same room together or something like that. We're a partaker of the Lord's goodness. We're, we're a partaker of His heavenly calling, and so you'll see that word repeated. But uh, these believers, because of what lies ahead, all right, the heavenly calling, which was future, it's always upward and onward. Because of that, he says, consider, consider, in verse 1, the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing tonight, y'all. We're considering the Lord. If Chris Hudson called me tomorrow and was concerned about something, say, hey, would you really pray about this? Uh, one of the kids is really sick or whatever, or uh, whatever it may be. 
we would bring that immediately to the Lord. We're going to consider the Lord in everything, and the direction for this church, in all that we do. And these people, hey, look, get your eyes off of the, the persecution, and oh, you're not part of the Jewish schools, and they kicked you out of the synagogue, and all that kind of stuff. Consider Jesus, is what he's saying. And what, what the Lord has told us, consider Christ Jesus. That means to observe fully, to perceive, to behold, like you're really fixing upon the Lord. We'll get to it later in Hebrews 12, but it says, Consider uh, him who endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied, you know, and faint in your minds. Keep the Lord. If he's not the first thing, if he's not the ultimate focus, we're going to get out of whack really quick. Fear would come into our hearts. Anger, bitterness, uh, uh, pursuing after the things of the world. All kinds of things can come in. It just takes a little taking our, our gaze off of the Lord. It's to be fixed upon the Lord. Consider Jesus, but fully behold Him and perceive Him. He, Jesus is both. He's our apostle and high priest. We have, for example, in the, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, there were apostles, right? The apostles, the disciples, other than Judas, became apostles. And, and uh, that basically means Jesus is both, and those men weren't both, only the Lord is, apostle and high priest. As apostle, he represents God to us. In other words, he represents the Lord to us. He shows us what the Lord is like. That was in chapter 1, verse 1. He was the express image of the Lord, okay? And he represents God to men. And as our high priest, he represents us before the Lord. Like our advocate, he's called. He's our high priest. Like the high priest in the temple would go in, and that would be that one man, the one high priest, once a year, would go into that most holy place uh, and have the, the blood and offer for the sins of the people. He had already offered for his own sins. And he was that one man representing that whole people that was out there, the nation of Israel. And that's what Jesus does, our apostle and high priest. Jesus and Moses, we'll go on to verse 2, speaking of the Lord, he was, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. It goes without saying the faithfulness of the Lord. Okay, but Moses was faithful in his house. In his house, Moses' house would have been the house of Israel. It would have been what God called him to do concerning the people of Israel, being their deliverer, bringing the law to them, being their shepherd, out there in the wilderness, bringing them out of Egypt, representing them before uh, Pharaoh, you know what I mean, in, in battles and so forth. He was faithful. Moses was very faithful. He wasn't perfect and sinless like Jesus was, but he was faithful in what God called him to do in all of his house, so to speak. And the Bible says as much about Moses that he was faithful. I want to read uh, verses 3 and 4. For this man was counted worthy, speaking of the Lord, more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who hath built the house has more honor than the house. Every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. So, uh, here again, Jesus compared to Moses, he's worthy of what? More glory. More glory. More glory than angels, more glory than Moses. Why? Because Moses was appointed to this house of Israel, basically, and that was his calling. And he was faithful to that. But the one who built the house is Jesus, the Lord. He's the creator of all things, all of creation, and also the, the, the creator of Israel, if you want to call him that, the 
birthed that nation into being. And in verse 5 it says, Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of the things which were to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his own house. I'm going to stop right there. So here's Moses, and he was faithful as a servant. And that's what we are. Well, we're sons of God. We're also servants of the Lord. Daniel was a servant of the Most High God. But Moses is called a servant here. Christ is a son. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference when you read the Bible and reading Galatians about uh, cast out the bondwoman. and she's not going to be, you know, her son's not going to be heirs with the son of the promise, which was Isaac and then had Jacob and, and so forth. And, and being a servant of the Lord is honorable. That's a wonderful thing. We're servants of the Lord. But Jesus was a son. And sonship in this sense, we're talking about Jesus, is denotes equality with the Lord. Absolute equality with the Lord. Now, I want to look at a couple of verses here. If you would, uh, let's see, turn, turn your Bible to, uh, keep your spot there in Hebrews and turn to John chapter 10. And then, Jenny, can I ask you to go to 1 Peter 2, 5 in just a second to read that? All right, John 10, 33. When Jesus was, they pick up, they took up stones in verse 31, and they want to stone the Lord. Okay, he said, which of these good works are you going to stone me for? The Jews answered, saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. What was this blasphemy? And because thou being a man, makest thyself God. Don't ever forget, they didn't stone Jesus for doing miracles. They didn't stone, they stoned him because he, he equaled, equated himself with the Lord. When he said, I'm the Son of God and God is my Father, my Father, they took up stones to kill him. They knew what that meant. That was serious. Before Abraham was, I am. He used one of the names of God, that I am. And so he wasn't blaspheming. They thought he was. But if it's true, then he's not blaspheming. He was and is the Son of God. And so, if you would read that one about the, the house of the Lord. Ye also, as living stones, are built of a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, that's from 1 Peter 2, 5. So Moses' house uh, would have been the physical house of Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. And with that went the, the law and the, the prophets and the tabernacle and the, the priestly worship and everything that went with it. Armies, kings. Our house, it says in verse 6, but Christ is a son over his own house. That is the house of the Lord that Jenny just read about. That verse she read was 1 Peter 2, 5 if you're taking notes. It says, ye also as believers are built up a spiritual house. Okay, a habitation for the Lord to offer up what kind? Not physical, spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. Remember, God deals with us. It's a spiritual life. It's a spiritual blessing. He can bless us in this life when He does. With good health and finances and nice homes and all that kind of stuff. But we're a spiritual house, not a physical house like what Israel had. And I want to go back to this. When it says in verse 5 that 
that Moses was faithful, and he spoke for a testimony of things which were to be spoken after. In other words, what he's saying, what the Bible's saying here is that Moses, in all that he did, in all of the Judaism, and the laws, and the prophets, and when he, he anointed his brother, you know, Aaron, and his sons to be the priest, and put the blood on his right thumb, and his big toe of his right foot, and did all, everything he did, all of that was uh, foreshadowing the coming of the real priest, the real Messiah, the real Savior. Everything in that Judaism, and I'm not an expert on it. I've studied it, but I'm by no means an expert on all the types and shadows in the Levitical law, and in the tabernacle, and in the sacrifice of the candle, and the showbread, and the unleavened bread, and a mercy seat, all of that, everything pointed to the Lord. The, the badger skins and the, the stuff that the tabernacle was made out of and it's ugly on the outside but beautiful on the inside like the Lord was when he was crucified there was no beauty in him that we should esteem him or be drawn to him but inwardly in he's dying for the sins of the world he's the son of God everything and Moses was faithful and everything and all of those things were things that were to be spoken afterwards that were fulfilled in Jesus I have two scriptures I want to read we go along with that. The first one is in Luke 24, 27. Okay, this is the Lord on a resurrection morning. He's on the Emmaus Road with two of his disciples. They don't know who he is. Their eyes are withheld somehow. They don't recognize him. And he's walking with them. And he rebukes them for not believing all the prophets said. And I just want to read this. In our context of what we're talking about in Hebrews, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus started with Moses. And when, we, when the Bible talks of Moses like that, it's speaking about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible which every Bible scholar believes he wrote. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so, um, beginning there, Jesus himself began to preach himself to two of his disciples on the resurrection morning, proving everything about him, probably including his death, burial, and resurrection through the Old Testament Levitical-type scriptures. Moses is how that's... And so Moses was speaking of things to come, which Christ fulfilled. One more scripture along those lines is John chapter 5. Y'all, anytime we study a book like this and really study it like we're doing, we'll probably forget more than we remember. But every time we study it, we'll probably lay hold to a little bit more than we did the first time. But when you take notes and you go back in a year or so from now, Maybe you'll be teaching it to somebody. You know what I mean? Having those notes and having it really uh, together can be very beneficial to you. Yourself for you learning or teaching it to someone else. Alright, so here's the Lord in John chapter 5. And he's talking to the, the Jews and he said, uh, in verse 44, let's pick up there. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God? Do not think that I accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. 
For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Here again, Moses wrote of Jesus. Jesus comes, what, how many years later? Uh, 1,500 years later, let's say. Was that, is that right? I'm trying to think. It's 2,500 or 1,500. I know it's 4,000 from Adam to Jesus. Um, but I think it's about 1,500 years. And he was writing of the Lord, and the Lord fulfilled it. Jesus is better. He's better than Moses, okay? And Moses was wonderful and faithful. It's not derogatory towards Moses or angels. It's just magnifying Jesus Christ. Let's get back to Hebrews in verse 6. And we said, but Christ as a son over his own house. Okay? Christ as a son over his own house. And then this is an important subject. I don't know that we'll finish it all tonight. But it says, whose house are we? That house is the body of Christ. The house is the church made up of born again men and women and children. Jews and Gentiles, young and old, that's the house of Jesus now, okay? And it says, whose house are we? He included himself in this. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? That's going to be repeated from that little half of verse 6 through the end of this chapter. It's going to talk about one thought, and that is basically... Uh, to keep our confidence in the Lord, to keep our trust in the Lord. Now, I want to explain in my studying, y'all may, this might be, you know, old news to you, but in my studying that I've done over the years, and in this, and recently going back over this, when he says, we're part of the house of, of the Lord, of Jesus, if we hold fast to confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. There are similar passages through the Bible. He that endures to the end, shall, the same shall be saved. And things like that. Endurance is not the, the uh, cause so much I see it as the effect. In other words, the one that endures to the end, endurance is more of a, of a uh, evidence of the faith that we have in Jesus being real. I want to stress that that it, I don't. This is not teaching. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that we that a works salvation or a performance-based salvation, or that we're saved freely by His grace, but then we have to keep ourselves saved by our own efforts. I'm not saying there's no effort. I'm saying the effort is one of faith to keep our confidence in the Lord. If I entered into this whole relationship with God, into eternal salvation through the blood of Jesus, how about faith? Romans. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's repeated all through the Bible, repeated in the New Testament where the case of salvation is being laid out there in Romans 3 and 4 and so forth. Um, we are saved by grace through faith. God's part is the grace. Our part is to put our faith in Him, and He even enables us to do that. I won't get into argument about that. Now, once that I am saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of promise, the Holy Ghost in me is an earnest of that 
future hope. In other words, it's a guarantee or a down payment Amen. in the heart of the believer that the rest is real. Heaven is yours. It's coming. You've not walked those streets of gold yet. But the Holy Ghost actually living in my heart is a down payment of that. Okay? I fully belong to Him. I don't live in fear that tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and be lost. That next month I'm going to wake up and be lost. That because I had an argument with my wife, maybe it was a bad one. Maybe it lasted for weeks and we didn't get over it. Because any of that that I'm lost, we should never live, live in fear of that. What we have to do is be obedient to the Lord, walk in His ways, and the key is keeping that confidence in the Lord. I entered into this relationship by faith. And I want you to keep your spot there. But turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry. 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. And I want to read this because I think it goes right along with what we're saying. It's very important. Don't live in fear that you're going to, quote, lose your salvation. All right? Don't. It's not of the Lord. He wants us to have a confidence that we belong to Him. I know that I know that I know I belong to Him. Well, I just lie all day long. I lied to my boss and I lied to my wife. And, and, but are you born again? Yes. Then your kids, you need to repent of your lying and be forgiven and be cleansed. But don't question or doubt or fear that I'm now lost and going to lose my salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. He saved me <coughs> by His grace. And I put my faith in Him. Alright, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. And 5 is, to me is the key. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten or birthed us unto a living, again, unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, alright, there's a future. This is for us. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and it fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. It's there, reserved for us, for every believer, not the ones that perform the best. Is it important to live godly and holy? Absolutely. Okay, if you love me, keep my commandments. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he that loves me. That's another issue, but that's not a salvation issue. If we're born again, then we're born again. Paul says, the Lord knows them that are His. Okay? He knows. And we know. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from evil. Here's verse 5. This is how we as believers are kept. We're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It is not based on uh, the fact that I memorized the 66 books of the Bible of the 12 disciples or or, or even, you know, win a person for the Lord once a week. Those are wonderful things. It's based upon, we're kept by the power of God. He has the power to keep me. I'm, I'm greater than, my, uh, my Father's greater than I, Jesus said, and nothing can pluck you from the Father's hands. Okay? But we're kept by the power of God through faith. In other words, if I quit believing in this Jesus that I once believed in, I don't believe the gospel anymore. I don't believe any of that. That's not a particular sin. Not even a horrible sin like murder or adultery. That is unbelief. That is apostasy. And that, that is taught in the Bible. It's taught in the, the book of Hebrews. 
We're going to get into it in more detail in chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. But if you're taking notes, apostasy means a falling away or turning away. You won't find the exact word apostasy in the Bible, but falling away, fall away. If you look it up in the Greek, it means apostasy, a turning away from. And it's turning away from the faith. It's not, okay, well, I went and, and I got, I used to be an alcoholic and I've been saved for five years and sober and walked with Jesus and in a moment of weakness, I went back to drinking for the last two weeks. And, I've, you know, I've been, that, that's not apostasy. That could lead to it. If you don't repent and come out of that, it could lead to a turning from Jesus. But that in and of itself is a backslidden or just sin that the blood of Jesus still belonged to the Lord, okay? If I was saved in the first place, then I'm still saved at that point. That's the teaching. We're going to get into it in, in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, and in chapter 10, somewhere around verse 28, it really lays it out there good, that case. And I like to make a, a case for that and see it biblically. So, when he says we belong to the house of Jesus, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm, that means steadfast unto the end, it does not mean that we just got to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we got to keep ourselves saved. I have to keep my eyes on Jesus. That's what I have to do. And keep my faith in the Lord. What if all of a sudden some soldiers busted in the door and started rounding this up for having a church? But that suddenly in this country became illegal. And the fear that would strike our hearts and you're grabbing for your children, you know what I mean? Instantly, all, that, all that's going on. The key is to keep your faith in Jesus. You see what I'm saying? He's going to bring me all the way through. It's not to try to come up with some plan at that moment in my, my mind. Or if I'm facing getting laid off my job and we need money or I'm really sick, or I got a bad report from the doctor. The key is we keep our eyes on Jesus by faith. That's how we're saved. We're kept by the power of God through faith. Alright? Through faith. Let's keep our eyes on the Lord. And, uh, y'all, I'm probably just going to cover a couple more verses, and then we'll stop tonight. But he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, now, he's quoting this from Psalm 95. It's a word-for-word -word quotation, Psalm 95, eight, verses 8 through 10. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. It's a wonderful study. It's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful comparison. What is he saying? Israel is put up there like a poster child for so many different things that we look so wonderful things, but also some negative things. And in this sense, it's their negative thing. When the Lord graciously brought them out by his mighty right hand, the Bible says, by his outstretched arm, and he parted the Red Sea and brought them out with miracles and signs and wonders he did before Pharaoh. And they didn't have any weapons and they were helpless little people basically they were slaves and they made a spoil of the Egyptians and they gave them gold and all to just get out and it was the mighty hand of God that brought them out and they parted the, he parted the Red Sea and drowned Pharaoh's army behind them everything was just huge miracle after miracle 
and they were doing nothing except step it. You know what I mean? Get out tonight. Have your shoes on your feet. Put the blood over the door closed. And when I say get out, it's time to get out. And they're just going. They've got their children, their lambs, and all that little stuff with them. And they're going. And God's doing miracle after miracle. And yet they begin to doubt the Lord. As soon as things got rough, we don't have any water. They didn't think like Moses. Well, the same God that parted the Red Sea and drowned Pharaoh's army could provide water for us. We're a lot like that. So it's a good comparison, okay, to the church or to Christians. And it says that they provoked him in the wilderness. We're going to talk about that provocation and kind of get into it more next week. It's a good study. And we'll look at the, the scriptures and the numbers in Deuteronomy and Exodus. That, I mean, numbers in Exodus that go along with that. But we need to be careful, y'all, that we don't provoke the Lord. That means to like, uh, it means provoke to wrath, to bitterness. They provoked me in the wilderness, the provocation in the day of temptation. In other words, there can be a good provoking, where it says in Hebrews 10, provoke one another to love and good works. Like Damien, keep on, you know, keep your eyes on Jesus. And don't, you know, I know you had a rough week, a rough day. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep walking with Jesus. That's what we do every time we come together. That's in a good sense. But the provocation was a bad sense. They were testing the Lord's patience. They were doubting him. They were murmuring against him. They were accusing of things that weren't true about God. They, they blasted his nature, his character, his power, his goodness, everything. And Moses was just grieved with it as well. I, wonder, I, wonder, I don't want to rush through that. So we'll pick up in verse 7 through the end of the chapter. It's one thought. If you want to study it and look over it, it's just a few verses from 7 to 19. And we might finish that and move on into chapter 4 next week. But rather than trying to rush through that, I wanted to stop tonight, you know, for our study tonight. But uh, God is, is so good to us, y'all, and He gives us these things, these scriptures and these stories, not so we can ridicule Israel and say, how can they doubt the Lord after He just did that? I've done the exact same thing. Even recent months with all this going on. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm excited and i got this full confidence and I move on with the Lord. And maybe a few days later, a few hours later, some kind of fear or doubt will come. And what do we do with that? We cast it upon the Lord. We say, God, forgive me. I know what you showed me. I know what you're doing. I'm trusting you. I'm going to go on. It can go up and down. The circumstances can go up and down. Our carnal minds can go up and down. Our feelings can go up and down. But trust the Lord in the Lord. Moses knew the ways of God. Israel saw the miracles, but they didn't know God or His ways, that He had a way about it. He had goodness about it. He had a way He operated. And he was kind and good. And he, he didn't say something and then not perform it. They needed to know that, but they didn't know that. They should have known that. It was their fault. It wasn't God's fault that they didn't trust Him. He had proved Himself and yet they didn't trust Him. And we need to, there, there's some point where we become, you know, like I say, increasingly more responsible for our faith in God. You know, Jesus rebuked His disciples when, when they were crossing that sea at night on the little boat and the big waves were beating against it and they said, wake up, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. He took care of the storm in the earth. He rebuked it and the waves laid down, the wind laid down, and they were safe down on the shore. The problem was over. 
Then he turned to them and said, Oh, you of little faith, where did you doubt? He wasn't patting them on the back. He was rebuking them. But at the same time, he was, he was teaching them. It wasn't a rebuke like uh, somebody that is abusive to their child and just beating them up for no reason. He chastens like a good father. He has a way about it. Jesus had a way. And in that sting, sting rebuke, he was trying to teach them and encourage them. I've showed myself faithful. Why did you doubt? Trust me. Trust when you don't see it. Trust when you, you know what I mean? We have to be reminded. That's why we don't come to church once and we're good for the rest of our lives. You know what I mean? Or we study the Bible once and we're good. We constantly, daily, have to be reminded. We walk this thing out day by day. I need God to strengthen my faith today. And one of the ways he does that is reminding me of his goodness. I thank the Lord every single day that six years ago he he healed me of cancer. Okay? I thank him for that. Because I might get sick today or tomorrow. You know what I mean? That's just personally. Those things help me. I thank the Lord when when William was little, uh, in real little, how old was he when he had that eye disease? From kindergarten. He had some eye disease, Deacon pronounce it, I can't pronounce it, it's that long. Uh, and the doctor at Tulane was uh, ophthalmologist specialist was saying he'll probably be blind by the time he's in his 20s and need an eye transplant. Now, William played baseball, you know what I mean? He could see the ball and everything. And God healed him. Amen. We prayed. There was nothing to do for it. They, they didn't have any like, oh, just take this pill for six months and you'll be fine. He went he, he went back for a six months checkup after that, wasn't it? How long? We just went to show because he was perfectly well within a week. Okay. Well, anyway, from the time he's diagnosed, we went back down there to the same doctor and he was all cleared up and whatever was in there was gone. Amen. And I remind myself of those things, y'all. Y'all have things in your life like that. And those help me and ought to help me trust God when fear smites my heart tomorrow with something just right in my face and I panic. I don't want to do that. I might be scared. But David said, what time I'm afraid I'm going to trust in thee. And so I want to trust in the Lord and I don't want to fall back like the children of Israel who actually provoked God because of their unbelief. They murmured, they complained, they accused him. We want to go back to Egypt. God's not good. All this kind of stuff. We need to learn from that. From their example and from everything in the Word of God. So I just want to close with that. We'll really get into that next week. That's what we'll talk about, the specifics of that. But why don't we just pray tonight. If you want to take deal, deal play, and um, if you want to just take a few minutes to pray and have an altar where you are. And y'all be, uh, I'm not talking about emotionalism, but don't be... Uh, afraid to be expressive, to pray out loud, to get up and go pray over somebody. Just let the Lord lead you. Maybe you just want to worship the Lord and thank Him tonight for a little while. But Lord, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, God, and we thank you that we have a faithful apostle and high priest, that you represent God to us, Lord Jesus, and you represent us before the Lord. You're our advocate. And I thank you that you're greater than Moses and all of Judaism. I thank you that you're greater than angels. I thank you that you're a faithful high priest and we can trust you. And God, we just pray that with the words that we've heard tonight, your living word, that God, it would 
it would grip us, it would become part of us. It wouldn't just be an intellectual knowledge that we have. It would be in our minds, but it would be in our hearts especially. To lay hold upon you, even tonight, God, it's such a joy in just the simplicity of studying your words and being fed by you, Lord. Holy Ghost, you're our teacher. Take the word, sow it into our hearts, knit it to our hearts, let it be part of us, God. That we be doers of the word and not hearers only, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, God. Bless our time at the altar tonight, God. Meet with us in the mighty name of Jesus.